So this weekend, we're going to finish up our sermon series on King David and looking at the heart of King David and what does it mean to have a heart like King David's heart, a heart after the Lord. And then next weekend, the weekend after Thanksgiving starts Advent, and uh, we're going to do a sermon series called Advent Devotional as we look at some of the themes of the candles around the Advent wreath leading us in a preparation for the celebration of Christmas But as uh, we do finish up this sermon series, A Heart Check, being reminded of the heart of King David, just want to encourage you as a reminder to continually check your heart, that we should check our hearts. It's not just a a one-time event, but because of our sinfulness and our brokenness, we need to continue to evaluate our hearts and ask ourselves, is my heart in rhythm with God's heart in the way that David's was? In a heart that looks to the promises of God. A heart that fully loves as it is fully loved. A heart that in humility protects others, even those that would attack us, just like Saul did. A sin-stained heart. A heart that needs to ask for God's forgiveness and grace, just as David did in the midst of his sin with Bathsheba and Uriah wanting what was not his. And having a heart of generosity that actually finds joy in being generous. Today we're going to look at our last aspect of what it means to have a heart like King David, but it's not going to be the one that was sent to me this week. I had a bunch of people on Facebook send me messages saying, hey, did you see this post about David's Christmas heart? I don't know how many of you are familiar with uh, uh, Babylon Bee. Anyone in here familiar with Babylon Bee? Okay, a few of you. Yeah, Babylon Bee, it's like the onion if you're familiar with that. It's a satire website for Christians and uh, just kind of pokes fun at some stuff in a very good-hearted way. And, and it said that David had a Christmas heart. In fact, scholars now believe that Saul threw his spirit David for playing Christmas music on his harp well before Thanksgiving. I can totally get it. That stuff is out way too early. But we're not going to talk about that. We're going to talk about something completely different today, but let's start with a word of prayer. We pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for gathering us here today so that uh, we can give thanks to you, glorify you, and we can spend time again in your word, being shaped and molded and allowing you to do your work on our heart. Lord, we pray that you would grant us a heart like David's. And today, as we look at that last aspect, may our heart be a reflection of your heart so that the world might know the love of Jesus. We pray in your holy name. Amen. So one of the things my children love doing is over the summer going to amusement parks. And I love going to amusement parks with them because I love roller coasters. I will ride any roller coaster. There's not a roller coaster that is too fast, too big, uh, has too many turns. I just love roller coasters. And, And my children love them as long as I go on them with them. But there is one ride at the amusement park that I absolutely hate. And I will never go on that ride. And it is this one. How many of you are familiar with this ride? Yeah. So I hate the Tilt-A-Whirl. I don't understand how this is fun at all. You're just spinning in a circle while going in a circle. And getting dizzy and sick all at the same time. How many of you are already getting dizzy just watching this, right? Yeah, exactly. Like there, what, what is the point of that ride? 
And as I was looking at that and thinking about the Tilt-A-Whirl, in fact, they have a ride where you do this to yourself. It's the teacup ride. You ever been on the teacup? Like you're spinning yourself. I'm going, going, why would you do it to yourself? Then I was thinking about our life and how often do we do that to ourselves? Or how often does the world do that to us? Where things just seem to be spinning out of control. Life goes faster and faster. We're disoriented. Uh, things uh, don't go the way we want it to. And, and our life starts to spin out of control. And normally that happens for one of two reasons. First of all, sometimes we literally do it to ourselves. We look at our schedule and we look at everything we have to do and we look at our children's sports schedule and we, we're like, this is out of control. Except it was literally in your control. You put that on your calendar. But you allowed your life to spin out of control with your own decisions, with the things you have done. This is what happened with David and Bathsheba. It was David's decisions that had his world spinning out of control, going from adultery to murder to being convicted of that and sentenced to death by Nathan, and then being forgiven and relieved by God. There are other times where it's the world that does this to us. It's going to the doctor and getting a diagnosis of a sickness or a cancer. It's people who hurt us and lash out at us in ways that make our heads spin. It's financial distress. It's being laid off. It's, it's having your pay cut. And the world seems to be spinning out of control all around us. And there are seasons of life where we all go through that, where we just look at the world around us and we look at our life and go, go God, I don't have a firm foundation to stand. It's going too fast and things are too out of control. How am I going to make it through this? And in the midst of that, what we want is we want some sort of steadiness, something to stand on. And this is what we're going to talk today is how do we find a steadiness in the midst of a world, in the midst of lives that seem to be spinning out of control? And how do we have a heart like King David's that stays faithful when life is spinning out of control? We're going to look at that in what is considered the last words of King David. If you want to follow along, you can follow along on page 275 in the Bibles in front of you. I will put up the words on the screen uh, this morning. This is called the last words of David. It's not literally his last words. There's actually another episode that will come after that. And, and then you heard in 1 Kings chapter 1 and 2, we heard chapter 2 today uh, when Pastor Clatt read those verses. And as it talked about David leaving this legacy that go, goes on through Solomon. But this is called the last words because it's more like his reflection on his life and leadership and the wisdom he is leaving behind as he says he's going the way of the earth or he's going to, to pass on. And so in the midst of these last words, David says this. Now these are the last words of David. The oracle of David, the son of Jesse, the oracle of the man who was raised on high, the anointed of the God of Jacob, the sweetest psalmist of Israel. Already from the very beginning as David talks about who he is. He says, these are the oracles of David, the son of Jesse, the man who was raised on high and anointed. And he takes us all the way back to the beginning. He says, says where I came from is where I started from. And that was that forgotten boy out in the field 
that was not even invited in to meet the prophet when he showed up. So that all of his brothers passed in front of Samuel and finally he had to go, well, is there no other son? And the dad, oh, that's right, there is another boy. He's out in the field. We didn't even invite him in. It says, from there, God raised me up. From there, the Lord anointed me. I didn't do it to myself. It wasn't my skills, my abilities. I didn't have any special attributes. It was solely by the grace of God that I am where I am. Can I tell you, that, that is a, a, an amazingly strong place to be. Because if you are chosen by man, you can be removed by man. But if you are chosen by God, then only God can remove you. What an amazing security that brings. If you are where God wants you to be, then it is only God who moves you on to where he wants you next. But if you are where you want to be or or where man chooses for you to be, then you or man can move you on. And that is a very dizzying place to be. But David says, says, I'm not where I want to be. I was where God wanted me to be. And God took me from the fields filled with sheep to the palace to lead as God would have me lead. And then it calls him the sweetest psalmist because David wasn't just a a military leader, a general, a king, but David was a musician, if you remember. David loved to play his harp. And David wrote at least 73 of the 150 psalms that we have in the scriptures, could be more. But David is now going to go on and he is going to speak about what it means to be a godly leader. In fact, that's the whole point of what's coming next is is what does it mean to be a godly leader? And and so for some of you are like, well, good, then if he's talking about being a godly leader, then that's not me because I'm not a leader. I'd rather follow somebody else, but, but me, I don't lead. But I believe that when we understand leadership correctly, that we all should see ourselves as leaders. Because all leadership is, is leadership is influence. So if you have influence in your life, you're a leader. If you're a father or a mother, if you're a husband or a wife, if you're a coach, if you have people that you work with who you have influence on or influence over, you're a leader. But the question is, and and we're going to hear a little bit about this in what David says, is is how are you leading? With what are you leading? Are you leading with selfishness, with ambition? Are you leading with fear? Uh, Are you leading with anxiety? Or are you leading in faith? Are you being a godly leader who points people to Jesus? Or are you a worldly leader that's just seeking to point people to yourself or success according to the world's standards? So David goes on and he says this as he speaks this way. He says, The Spirit of the Lord speaks by me. His word is on my tongue. The God of Israel has spoken. The rock of Israel has said to me, When one rules justly over men, ruling in the fear of God, he dawns on them like the morning light, like the sun shining forth on a cloudless morning, like rain that makes grass to sprout from the earth. David starts by saying, it's actually never been me speaking. The only person that has spoken as I have spoken is the Lord because it is the Spirit of the Lord who speaks through me and His Word is the Word that is on my tongue at all times. In fact, what David is really saying is, I am just God's megaphone to the world. Do you know that's what we're called to be? 
When Jesus left and said, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the world, he says, you are to be my megaphone. It is your words that are to be on my tongue. It is, it is your word that is to be spoke, my word, that is to be spoken through your words. You are God's megaphone. Just like David was God's megaphone. Which is why we here at Grace continue to encourage you, open up your scriptures, spend time in God's word, because the more you are in his word, the more his word is in you, and the more his word will come out of you because his word consumes you. So be in his word. Whether it is a minute a day, five minutes a day, an hour a day, whether you're reading one verse or five verses or a chapter of the Bible, spend time in God's word. Listen to him, be in his word because when you are in his word, whether it's for a minute or an hour, his word will be in you and his word will come out of you. And in that moment, you will continue to be God's megaphone to this world. So he says, this is what I have been. I've just been God's megaphone. And so, so the God of Israel has spoken through me, the rock of Israel. He says, when one rules justly over men, ruling in the fear of God. He says, this is the type of leader that I want. Leaders, people of influence who are godly, who are righteous, who rule with the fear of God, who point people to me. And he says, what they do is, is they are, he dawns on them like the morning light. He shines forth like on a cloudless morning. He brings rain that makes the grass sprout on the earth. Do you notice what the leader's job is? Your role is? It is only to shine light and to bring that rain that would cause growth. But he never says that growth was his. In fact, Paul speaks that way. If you read 1 Corinthians, Paul is speaking about himself and, and another uh, leader, Apollos, and he says, says, what am I and what is Apollos? For I planted Apollos water, but it is only God who makes the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only the one who gives the growth, which is God. He says, as godly leaders and people of influence, you and I, we have one role and one responsibility is, is we are God's megaphone to speak the word of God, to, to shine the light in the darkness, to bring the rain that would water people's life. But then it is only God who will bring that growth. The calling is that we are faithful and God is fruitful, but it's not up to us. And, and what a steadying place that is. Because the results then aren't up to us. It, it's not us saying, you know, if I make better decisions, if I work harder, if I do more, then I will produce more. But no, God does more than we ever could ask or imagine. In fact, we see that throughout the scriptures. If God wants something to take place, it will happen. And if God doesn't want something to take place, it doesn't. He is the God who parted the Red Sea so that people could walk through on dry land. He is the one who spoke into nothingness and created the universe. He is the one who caused the sun to stand still in the sky as long as he wanted it to stand still. He is the one who brings life. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And what that reminds us of is that our calling is just to be faithful. 
It's a reminder, and as David would, as he thinks about his life, and as you hear the words of David in, in 1 Kings chapter 2 that were read before, where he says, I'm going the way of the earth, and everything I have I'm handing over to Solomon, is that the fact of the matter is, we may think that God really needs us, but a sobering truth is God does not need us as much as we think he does. He wants us. He loves us. He values us so much that he sent his son Jesus Christ to die for us. But God doesn't need us as much as we think he does. In fact, do you know what happens to every single leader in the Bible? Every single one? They all die. All of them. In fact, I had to look this up just to make sure I was quoting it correctly. So I looked it up on the internet. Do you know what the death rate is in America today? 100%, that's right, 100%. Everybody still dies. In the Bible, do you know what happens when the leader dies? He gets one verse, and then the people move on. Like, read the end of Moses. Moses, who got multiple books of the Bible, led the people through the wilderness, struggled with people who continued to rebel and complain, and, and Moses dies, and there's like one verse of, and then Moses died, and the people were sad, and then they followed Joshua. It's like, thanks, Moses. All right, Joshua, time to go. Why? Because we think that God really needs us but the truth is that God doesn't need us, but he wants us and he loves us and he cherishes us. And he says, just be faithful. Just follow me faithfully and I will be fruitful through you. And that's the calling of a godly leader, to be faithful. Just faithfully be God's megaphone, pointing people to Jesus. He'll do the rest. You know, we've talked about this just to invite somebody Bring them with. Speak words of truth or bring them to such a place where they can hear the word of truth and then just let God do the rest. We are faithful. God is fruitful. And then he finishes this section by saying this, for does not my house stand so with God? He's talking about his household and Solomon who would come after him. For he has made with me an everlasting covenant, ordered in all things, and it is secure. Meaning if I stand steadfast on the rock, then this world might be spinning all around me. But here I find security. Here I find safety in the one who holds me and loves me and cares for me greatly. He says, my security is not in myself, but my security in the one who has made an everlasting covenant with me. And this is the covenant that is secured for you and for me in Jesus Christ. In what he has done. In his grace, in his sacrifice, in his love for you and for me. And then he goes and says, for will he not cause to prosper all my help and my desire? That word prosper actually can be translated, will he not cause my salvation? with all of my help and my desire. Will he not cause my salvation? That's what God has done for you and for me. That's why the world can spin all around us and we could say, world, God has overcome the world. Jesus has overcome the world. You can cause my head to spin, but my life and my salvation, it is secure in Jesus Christ. And then he speaks about what happens to those who are ungodly followers. He says, says, but worthless men are like thorns that are thrown away, for they cannot be taken with the hand. 
But the man who touches them arms himself with iron and the shaft of a spear, and they are utterly consumed with fire. And he says, what godly leaders ultimately do is they say, to those who are ungodly, they hold judgment and justice, and they will be held accountable for their ways. When you think about the life of David, in his final words and the legacy that he brings, what is it that most clearly defines David's life? It's faithfulness, is it not? In everything David did, David sought to be faithful. Even when he made mistakes, he sought to come back in faithfulness. But how do we do that in a world that spins out of control? Well, we see in David that what happens is a faithful life that is standing securely in Jesus Christ always comes from a faith-filled heart. It's not us. It's the faith that God gives to us that clings to the promises of God, that clings to what Jesus has done for us on the cross and the open tomb, the security of the salvation that has been won for us. Our faithfulness comes from a faith-filled heart. This is why if you were here for Brad Alice's Bible study on the four kings, you would have seen over and over and over again those four kings when it says that they followed, they had a heart like David's, following after the Lord, walking in all of the statutes and the commandments of God. Faithful. Or when David is described in Acts chapter 13, it says, I have found in David the son of Jesse a man after my heart who will do all of my will. It's faithfulness. But that faithfulness comes from a faith-filled heart. Understanding our world can spin out of control. It's pace, it's pain, it's struggles, it's circumstances, it's failure, our ambitions and our desires that cause our life to spin out of control. And so in the midst of a life that spins out of control, calling us to be faithful so God is fruitful, what brings us that steadiness? Well, when you look at the life of King David, what brought him steadiness was actually surrender. Most of us don't think about surrender when it comes to David. Because David was the warrior who always won. He was the general who continued to win battle after battle against enemy after enemy. And you would think, but David never surrendered. And you're right, David never surrendered except to one person. And that was God. He surrendered in repentance in the midst of David and Bathsheba. He surrendered in saying, it is not Saul's life for me to take, but only God's. He surrendered his ambitions, his desires. He surrendered everything he wanted for everything that God wanted for him. He said, it is not my agenda. I don't know how many of you are to-do list people. I'm a huge to-do list person, and there is an end, there are days where, where I will get done with my day, and I will look at my to-do list, and I will have done nothing on my to-do list except everything that God wanted me to do that day. And that's surrender. It's saying, God, not my agenda, but yours. Not my power, but yours. Not my will, but yours. Not my words, but yours. It's saying, God, everything I have, I surrender it for everything you want for me to do. There's a, a phrase 
that's associated with David, that's repeated over and over again if you read the life of King David. In fact, it's the phrase that you find out is one of the reasons that Saul hated David. In the midst of Saul seeing all of David's victory, it says, and Saul realized that the Lord was with David and he hated him. And over and over again, it's repeated, the Lord was with David, the Lord was with David, the Lord was with David. Do you know that the Lord is with you? In your struggles, in your pain, in the midst of your brokenness, wherever you live, wherever you work, with whoever you are doing life with, the Lord is and the Lord will forever be with you. Do you understand what an amazing promise that is? No matter how badly life spins out of control, the Lord is with you. While my children were growing up, one of my favorite things to do was on a Sunday afternoon after uh, getting done with worship would be going home and sitting on the couch, eating lunch and watching football as long as my bears were winning. And I would love having my children who would just come and sit on my lap. And, and when they're little, children love to sit on your lap for a little bit. And after about five, 10 minutes, children have lots of energy. So what do they do? They squirm, don't they? And then they, 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 they kick and they, they kind of elbow you and finally you're like, fine, get down. And then they go out and then they start doing something that they ought not to be doing. Right? So they're opening a door or closing a door. We would have this chest and they would be, that was in our uh, living room and they would be opening it and closing it but had a heavy lid on it. And so every time they'd go over to it, I'd remind them, don't open that. Don't play with that. Well, inevitably, whenever you tell them not to do something, what do they do? They do the thing you tell them not to do. And then they close it on their fingers and they hurt themselves and they start crying because their world is spinning out of control. So where do they go again? Right back to dad. And guess who's waiting for them? I am. And guess who's waiting for you? The Lord who's with you. Your world may be spinning out of control, but God is always there. And in the sweetness of surrender, God gives you a steadiness that reminds you that the world may be spinning out of control, but not to him it isn't. And so he is there with you because he loves you. And in his arms, you will find the steadiness that comes in surrender. In Jesus' name, amen.